0: Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 podcast. I'm Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host, Timmy. How you
1: doing, Timmy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you today, Grace?
0: Well, let me tell you, I'm pretty excited to talk about Season 1, Episode 10, Breakdown. Which, uh, it's a bit of a departure from the formula, which I welcome with open arms. And it's just a good fucking episode.
1: Yeah, this is... This episode uh, does take a kind of interesting turn because they don't send them out into the field to uh, go snag artifacts, if I recall correctly.
0: Yeah, they do, they do basically no snagging, bagging, or tagging.
1: Right. And the nice part about that is it shuffled some of the ensemble. Like, we get very limited uh, interactions between Claudia and Pete and Micah because they're generally out in the field. And it's Mm. nice to see a change. For one, it's a very Claudia-heavy episode, which is always nice.
2: Yeah, I like Claudia. And I think favorite character.
1: I think her uh, chemistry with Pete and Micah really makes the uh, episode go. Mm
0: Hmm. It's yeah. It's uh. This is probably an even more Claudia-heavy episode than the episode that's actually named Claudia, where we meet her.
1: Right. Yeah, the, uh, I'm not sure, like, if the intention was to bring her on as a permanent cast member when they recorded Claudia. Like, because I feel like they would have portrayed her a little bit differently if they were about to pull her into the show. I think maybe it happened based on feedback from, uh, from viewers or, you know, the people they pay to take surveys or whatever. Yeah, your local I, I Nielsen family. I think it would have family. had to have
0: been. I think it would have had to have been like, because they did set up the Claudia thing beforehand, and in fact, that episode is titled Claudia. Yeah. Which is because usually the episodes are named like, af kind of after the thing, like breakdown or duped or whatever. It's right. So the last episode of the season is McPherson, so it's not a completely unreasonable thing. But yeah, that would probably would have made her more sympathetic in that one episode if she was intended to stick around.
1: Right. I mean, I think they they may have worked that into the script, but I think it was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to make it feel like there was a little more history there, so they wanted something in Artie's past to come back mm-hmm. for him to deal with, but like, I think maybe they changed course on what Claudia was supposed to be later on in production mm-hmm. uh early enough that they like the f- scenes they filmed with her remained you know mm-hmm. coherent or whatever but yeah it, they wrote her as a very different character for the first episode
0: yeah it's almost as if like they wanted her to be a villain
1: for longer right yeah like it it would have made more sense if it took a couple episodes for her to come around after that which i don't know that it would make sense from the way they handled uh the events but like at the very least it would uh make sense for her character to have a sort of evolution rather than uh it's kind of an abrupt shift they do
0: yeah because like the way miss frederick gives Artie that ultimatum right like you know the options you kind of i could see how like You know, they plan to keep her in custody in the warehouse for a few episodes or something like that before, like, you know, okay, look, you can come work here or we can kill you.
1: Right. They have, like, their hands are tied. They have no option but to put her on house arrest in Lena's bed and breakfast or something. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it would make sense for it to take a little while for Claudia to, uh be willing to forgive Artie even after all they went through together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that would be an interesting uh angle they could have taken if they did want something more tragic to happen if uh Joshua didn't make it. Mm-hmm. But with Joshua making it, I think it uh it would kind of be hard to sell her uh still hating Artie when yeah, they worked he did. together.
0: He did risk life and limb. He really like did go above and beyond to save them both. Right. But it also would have it would have been interesting to see a few episodes, especially earlier on where like I dunno, we get uh like Lena and Claudia like talking about Claudia's situation. Like what should you know, what's she going to do and you know, there's a little I hate to say good cop, bad cop, but there's the you know Hey, you could really help people and also the if you don't take the job, you're either going to be locked away forever or you are going to be killed.
1: Right. but in... That would
0: have been an interesting thing to, like, explore.
1: Yeah. But I suppose in Claudia's character, uh, it does make sense that you put her in front of a warehouse full of, uh, full of madcap, as she called it. Yeah. And she finds herself more at home than she ever was anywhere else.
0: Yeah, like, if, if I were in Claudia's shoes, and, you know, I'm trying not to project on her, but, you know, <laughs> she is, she is the most grace-like character in the show, you know. Right. I would also, like, take her position, like, winding up working for the warehouse is not a, a bad place to be if you're Claudia.
1: Right, and especially if you've spent, you know, the past, four or five years of your life trying to recreate some sort of horrible experiment and not really holding down jobs or anything. Yeah, for
0: ten years. or She probably wasn't working for all those ten years, but, like, you know, this is probably the best outcome she could have hoped for, given everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, she was committed to an asylum at one point. I think she bounced Mm -hmm. around foster care early on. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it... It's one of those things, it's, they really could have done more with that, too. Like, Claudia obviously feels at home there, and, like, even says it outright, but I think they probably could have portrayed her, uh, sort of connection to the warehouse a little stronger.
0: Yeah, because I think as we've seen, the show took, you know, until episode perhaps eight or nine to really hit its stride writing-wise. Right. And, you know, what's done is done. It's hard, It's very easy to, like, look back and say, oh, yeah, we could have done more with that, couldn't we? Like, it would have been really neat to see Claudia going from, like, you know, being held at the warehouse against her will, but you know, she's in handcuffs or whatever, but she, like, offers some, some useful insight to Artie.
1: Right. This is something, uh, that we may come back like, to. Imagine
0: the, uh, imagine the, uh, uh, the burnout episode where she was like making the the three D projector thing. Imagine like she's doing this, but she's still in you know she's still in handcuffs or whatever, right. and demonstrating that she can like you know she can do this thing and she can be helpful and that she likes it, that she wants to help instead of you know sitting around and making passive aggressive digs at already.
1: Yeah, and it wouldn't have been bad because Artie spends a lot of his time, you know, apprehensive about the idea of involving Claudia. So Mm -hmm. you could have both of them grow into this role rather than sort of thrust into it. But, I mean, the episodes are pretty jam-packed, so, like, it's hard for me to imagine they would have to take out a lot of storytelling on the A-plot to fit all of this in. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Hindsight's twenty twenty and all that. Right. It's one of those things. It's very easy to want more Claudia because yeah. uh, it's not only us. Everyone loves that character. <laughs> and, yeah, it, so, if that were... The intention. I mean, I find it interesting. They consistently credit her as like guest starring in this episode, like huh. rather than being a primary member of the cast. They they keep the number of primary cast members down really low, according yeah, they, they to the credits. Her,
0: yeah, they don't put her in the the opening sequence, right? She's not in the she's not in the title. She's not in the intro with you know Pete, Mike, and Artie, right?
1: I mean, but that would require uh recutting it yeah. after episode like three or four. <laughs> yeah. But this episode opened on a uh a little recap about McPherson stuff. It showed uh Artie getting stabbed, that whole deal. Uh so we know it's gonna be a McPherson involved episode. Though so
0: he is not actually in this episode, they just talk right. about him. But yeah, that part's pretty good. And we we open on Pete and Micah at the bed and breakfast having a they're racing to complete some reports and then they argue over the parable of the tortoise and the hare.
1: Right. Yeah. Pete is uh is just absolutely uh on another level because he understands that a hare is faster than a tortoise. Obviously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How how could it how if I were a torto- if I were a hare I would simply run faster than the tortoise causing me to win the race
1: right <laughs> yeah and Claudia is uh, or uh, Micah is a little unsure how to uh Ex- how explain to explain the fable <laughs> right explain <laughs> a fable that she uh first learned when she was. Probably four years old or whatever. Uh, And then uh, Artie comes in, and it's a very nice touch that Pete just straight up asks Artie, which would win in a race, a tortoise or a hare? (laughs) Which which Artie declines
0: to answer,
2: which is very funny.
1: (laughs) (sighs) And then... Then we uh, see, uh, we hear that Claudia is doing chores. Mm-hmm. Chores at the warehouse. And we cut to Claudia with her, uh, her goggles on her head working on a A vacuum. Yeah, an old timey vacuum that turns out to be, a autonomous, like Roomba thing.
0: Before this, though, we do get, uh, uh, Pete and Micah hand their reports to Artie. And he, you know. They're like, oh, is this going to Mrs. Frederick? And it's like, oh no, this is going, you know, way up, way up to the top, or whatever, you know, way above any of our pay grades.
1: Right. Yeah, he's meeting and, with a courier. Yeah. So apparently, the people who he's uh, getting this information to are people he's never met. Mysterious. Uh, I also know uh, the noted-
2: courier is.
0: The courier is very rude to him, which is pretty funny.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, he tries to uh start a conversation and the courier's just like, we don't do this. <laughs> and then uh I think
0: that was a rule, I thought you were just rude.
1: Mrs. Frederick's henchman is standing there whenever the courier drives off mm-hmm. uh doing doing Artie A frighten. <laughs> But we also uh when Claudia is working on the uh vacuum, she is drinking from a bottle of genericized cola in a in the glass bottle right, and I was convinced I knew that glass bottle from somewhere, so I started looking into it. I'm convinced it's definitely not a label that emulates the cheer wine label and the color of the cola. Is not the color of uh, cheer wine, which is very red, but I'm pretty sure it's a cheer wine bottle. Huh. I've never had
0: cheer wine, so I'm willing to trust your judgment here.
1: It's unsurprising since it apparently is uh, just the southernest soda possible. <laughs> because they, uh, yeah, they sell them mostly in South Carolina. Mm. That but Sounds about right. Yeah, I hear good things
0: about it. It comes highly recommended, but it is from a part of the country I don't.
1: I have never been to. The Wikipedia article for Cheerwine pointed out that uh. Old Carolina barbecue. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not plugging this barbecue place. I've had their food. Their fast food barbecue. It's fine. Uh, but a local uh Canton Ohio chain uh serves Cheerwine. From the uh, fountain, and that's where oh. I get my cheer wine, <laughs> which is neat because this is also the episode that, uh, or one of several episodes that depicts Pete primarily wearing his uh, North Canton wrestling t-shirt.
0: <laughs> so, do people who live in Canton they're they're not
1: Cantonese, right? That's a different place. <laughs> Are they Cantonians? Oh, you know, I've never heard. What they actually use.
0: What's the demonym for people who live in Canton?
1: There's a Canton in England, isn't there? So you'd probably want to go with that one because it's the uh, the more original one to find that sort of thing out. (laughs) Canton classic, if you will. Right. (laughs) Not new Canton. (laughs)
0: Uh, Let's see. Ah, I was right. Wikipedia lists the demonym as Cantonian. Okay, nice. A- anyways, Claudia uh, picks up this cheer wine bottle with cola in it. Uh, ah, it's warm. Uses a snow globe to cool it down. She just
1: which, shakes some cold right on there. Yeah. Which,
0: I don't know. From what I've known about, you know, from sodas, is if they've been out long enough to... If they've been out, like open long enough to get warm, they're
1: probably also flat. Yeah, you can't just cold them up and have a delicious soda afterward. Like yeah,
0: like maybe Claudia likes flat soda, who knows, but
1: I mean clearly she does since she transferred some cola into a cheer wine bottle. <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh let's see.
2: Then she
0: goes out to fix it to tighten and lubricate the zip line which is the next thing on her chore list right a- and uh long story she, short the uh she makes she's a, up there she makes a back-
1: comment about how kinky that sounds <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ooh, how kinky She uh,
0: gets up there she winds up out there dangling on it gets herself into a predicament and she says W W A D. What would Artie do
1: to herself? It's worth noting she doesn't just get herself into a predicament. The, her uh, Roomba friend is a fucking asshole.
0: Oh yeah, like the <laughs> the Roomba absolutely did not help with this. It like hit the fucking zipline detach button. It not which her... I don't know why you would have that button, or at least like yeah, I would put one of them little plastic flippity covers on it.
1: Yeah. <sighs> You should probably have some guards in place for that Uh, basic, uh, you know, environmental health and safety stuff. Uh, The warehouse is grossly lacking. I haven't seen I mean, I've seen Claudia wear safety glasses, but I'm pretty sure like it's only because she thinks it looks cool
0: yeah like she she wears <laughs> like, safety glasses as an affectation right which like i Some get big I goggles would, i would also do like i get it I'm pretty but sure in also, this
1: warehouse you ought to be wearing uh protective uh eyewear though
0: yeah like we never see Pete and Mike are already wearing goggles of any sort right <laughs> uh let's see and uh as Claudia falls, we see a uh the camera pans past the Baylor dodgeball, a dodgeball that duplicates upon contact. And the sticky string. Which uh like falls into some sort of giant menacing gearworks and jams right. it up real good.
1: Yeah, it it really gums up the works.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. A box labeled sticky string. It's uh since it's in the warehouse, it's probably pretty concerning that it's uh all up in those gears yep, yeah. like
0: yeah, I don't have many or really any giant gear assemblages in my house, but unfortunately if I did, I wouldn't want them gummed up with sticky string
1: right yeah you don't uh you don't get to pump the uh the purple goo all through your house
0: yeah now I have. So, is there a Mr. Frederick written in my notes, but I have no idea what (laughs) prompted this. Uh, The next thing that happens is, like, Pete and Micah show up at the warehouse. They've got donuts. There's there's a whole little gag where Pete ate all the donuts on the way.
1: Right. Yeah, he offers Claudia one donut, but they can't find her.
0: And then, later on, there's a... uh, Later on, when they were calling for Claudia, he says something. There's half a donut in the
2: office
1: yeah. for you. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, but they go out onto the uh, catwalk outside of Artie's office, and mm-hmm. they notice the zipline down, and they're yeah, pretty concerned really, about that.
0: We get this really hard to parse, like blurry digital zoom of the. Oh yeah. You know, digital composite of the warehouse they
1: use right yeah
0: honestly hard to make out what they're trying to direct our attention to.
1: we rendered the warehouse once in the resolution we rendered it and we are not doing it again (laughs) 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 we rendered it to do flyover shots but it'll work it'll be fine
0: yeah which like they apparently like went back and drew the zipline on it right i don't know but they didn't whatever whatever uh and then uh as they it venture can't into cost the warehouse that much
1: to re-render small sections like did they hire yeah. a contractor to do the suit the sweep through shot and then they yeah. had to just sort of like crop frames from it to get their yeah. uh their thing yeah
0: it seems like the sort of thing they would have folks doing in-house but clearly not like There was clearly, like, some money involved in re-rendering it that they did not want to spend.
1: Yeah, because if someone already rendered it, they'd, you know, just open it up again, uh, point the camera somewhere, whatever. Probably not a big deal.
0: But, uh, and after that, we see, uh, Artie's cute car. I think this is where he had the exchange with the courier.
1: Right, yeah, Artie has... Because I have a note
0: here about Artie's cute
1: little red car. Right, that is a 1957... Uh although the IM C D B, the movie car database, uh mm-hmm. says that it is a fifty-eight or fifty-nine uh Jaguar uh XK one fifty. Huh. I don't know anything about cars, but hell yeah.
0: It's a British car, 15... so the
1: door falls off. <laughs>
0: uh and then this is, I think, where we see already, uh, like, go, go to the diner and meet Miss Frederick. Mrs. Frederick. Wait, is it Ms. or is it Mrs.? I think they're pretty uh, consistent about Mrs., right?
1: Yeah, I believe it's Mrs. Frederick.
0: Which would imply that she is married. Right, it there implies there is a, there
1: Mr. Is a Frederick. Mr. Frederick. <laughs> Although, uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why
0: I, I, I don't remember why I wrote. So is there a Mr. Frederick? But anyways, the next thing I have in my notes is imagine six balls bouncing on the edge of a cliff. So the, next up we get the scene where Pete and Mike are facing some dodgeballs.
1: So I would like to point out that, yeah, we see one ball bouncing in place. It hits, uh, Micah, I think. And, uh, now there's three balls bouncing in place or something. And they're starting to get pretty concerned. This is a bad sign. The thing that gets me is the frame rates that they rendered the balls at starts chugging when there's more than three on screen.
0: Oh, that's right. It looks <laughs> look so fake, even though they're like, oh, they're just bouncing there menacingly.
1: Yeah, like I've seen a lot of CG where it's like too fluid in motion, mm-hmm. like uh. You see it a lot when you're watching a movie that was filmed on 24 frames a second, where things just things that are CG'd in get CG'd in at higher frame rates, and mm-hmm. they don't look quite right. Yep. Yeah. This has the opposite problem.
0: Yeah, where it, they move too slowly. Right. It's, how do you mess up your rent You all you had to do was draw a red ball bouncing up and down. It's-
1: right. And That's you have like, all the time in the world to render it. Render it at the yeah. frame rate you shot the film. And you... You
0: even... You just have to render it once. Right. Like...
1: Yeah, they literally just duplicated the ball and the computer shit the bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 2009 television, baby. This
0: This episode also has some very obvious green screen. Oh, yeah. Uh... You yeah, can especially at first, see around, like, Micah's hair when they sh- go to the
1: B&B. Yeah, Claudia up on the zip line is some pretty solid green screen effect. Uh, there, There's a handful of them in this episode. Mm. And
0: which, usually it's pretty good, but sometimes you can absolutely see the green around, like, the fringes of Micah's hair.
1: Right. And, like, the thing that gets me is most episodes don't look this bad. From yeah. like a technical standpoint,
0: because this is a definitely a more effects-heavy episode,
1: right? Yeah the the show has not been overly ambitious with the special effects previously. Yeah, like there's so certainly they... some cheesy stuff, but like they they knew what their limitations were, and they knew that will give them a lot of suspension of disbelief. But it's got to look appealing at least. Yeah.
0: Because before this, they mostly drew, like, energy blasts and electrical zappy-daps. Right. And those always look fine. Yeah, and
1: they're on on screen for a very short time.
0: Yeah, and they're, like, clearly special effects. Like, I get that. It's harder to suspend one's disbelief when you can, like, see the outlines or, like, that's not how balls
1: bounce. Right. Yeah, the, uh, so... I don't know. Maybe it was a different writer had different vision wanted some specific things to happen. Or maybe it was just they wrote it and did their very best.
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong. This is cuz part of this is like okay, I've got 2020 brain where I've been spoiled by, you know,
1: right. Television these days has benefited from much cheaper uh CGI rendering.
0: Yeah, like I I've been spoiled by your your big budget Marvel type films and what have you, right? And you, you know, I've seen, a, I've seen Avatar.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have to talk about Avatar. So, <laughs> Mrs. Frederick is played by uh, CCH Pounder, who had a major role in Avatar. It was filming right around the same time as this. Imagine leaving the studio at Avatar. Doing motion cap for uh for uh, facial expressions and stuff, and then going to play Mrs. Frederick on Warehouse 13. <sighs> she was. Yeah. Who was she? Who did she play uh, in Avatar? I believe she was the more elder uh blue lady, like the right. main tribal leader lady.
0: Oh yeah, she was the spiritual leader.
1: Yeah. The
0: the blue late the love interests kind of mother and
1: blah 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 okay yeah things are coming uh full circle for me because i just uh two days ago was watching uh bones season five mm-hmm. and they have an episode in which the b plot about 30 percent of the show is all a product placement promotion for avatar <laughs> Like three of the characters have tickets to the avatar premiere and they're like very into it and they go wait in line and they have to do uh shifts and there's office hijinks while they all pretend they're working while one of them holds their spot in line
0: (laughs) oh i'm just so excited to go see james cameron's avatar
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, it's great like I was completely thrown for a loop to see Avatar product placement in a show that I'm watching today. But, uh... And then... I... I was looking at stuff about Avatar and saw CCH Pounder, and I'm like, no way. No way. Oh God,
0: it's... that, That would explain why I didn't, like, recognize her. Well, A... Right, she's always impossible. blue on screen. <laughs> yeah, like, she was completely computer-generated. Right. And also, you know, it is impossible for a human brain to remember anything about the film Avatar for right. long.
1: The only thing I remember about Avatar is, uh, the general's face when he dies. <laughs> it's so good.
2: Ah. <laughs> uh. Ah. Uh. Oh, well, I'm done uh,
0: pretending to be a blue person today. Time to go uh, w- watch him not animate some balls very well. Uh, all
1: right. Um, oh, so yeah. Anyways, uh, so, anyways,
0: this happens. Um, Pete. So, uh, sorry, guys.
1: Yeah, Pete realizes the way to win at dodgeball is to catch the ball that's coming at you.
2: Problem that's is, the only- balls
1: only attack when you look away so he tells micah to look away so that he can catch the ball
0: yeah and also that's kind of how you win dodgeball you win dodgeball by being the last one standing right you catching the ball is an important part of that strategy because it means you get the person who threw it out but it's it's weird it's it's like how in like in tv shows where like there's a video game as part of the plot, but the writers clearly, like, don't... haven't played a video game in a while. So it's like, oh, I have to beat this level and get the high score. But for Dodgeball?
1: So... It's, it's, it's like Pac-Man
0: fever for Dodgeball.
1: To get back to Bones Season 5 episode, whatever the one I just watched <laughs> is... Hi,
0: uh, right, welcome to, uh, to <laughs> Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Bones podcast.
1: The A-plot, Uh, is about uh. Are you familiar with the uh documentary King of Kong? Yes, yes, I am. So are the writers of Bones because that's just (laughs) what they did. There was a murder of Kong, but every character was just like a ripoff of people who were involved in the King of Kong, and the game uh that the arcade game that the show featured was called punky pong i believe <laughs> and uh, cranky dong it is hilariously bad looking on screen <laughs> and they released it as a flash game as a companion to the episode <laughs> oh it's very good uh yeah and someone just put in time making it work again from some archived copy of it.
2: Uh, so,
1: yeah, there's now a version on GitHub that you can uh, download if you want your very bad fake arcade game fix.
0: I would love nothing more than to be what, the Ping of Pong or whatever it
1: is. <laughs> the game was Punky Pong. <laughs> yeah. The, so you the, could be the Punk of Pong, apparently. <laughs>
0: Punk pong's not dead <laughs>
1: uh, it, it is not it was but someone took the time to uh fix it uh, and that's beautiful <laughs> uh, I will put a in, link to their uh their repository in the GitHub or in the pl- description.
0: Please do <laughs> uh, anyways um Pete's plan works, uh, Micah looks, uh, Micah and us, the audience, look away, uh, when she looks back, Pete is buried in dodgeballs, just his feet sticking out, which is a weird look, uh, but, uh, event, you know, Micah has, like, her emotional moment thinking that Pete is dead, and then, uh, all the, Pete sits up, reveals that he has caught the dodgeball, and they all kind of, like, collapse back into the one he's holding. Uh, Right, And then they see uh,
1: the bed and breakfast with a Claudia shaped hole in the roof, (laughs) which do we, do we see the hole or are we
0: simply left to imagine that like it's some Looney Tunes ass, like perfect
1: silhouette. There is a a perfect silhouette, but it is just off screen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You never get to see it. Uh, it is absolutely as Looney Tunes-esque as your brain can conjure up, because <laughs> they never tell you otherwise.
0: <laughs> and uh we see some conspicuous green screen uh as they walk in. Uh Claudia tells them not to let the door close behind them as the door closes behind them. Obviously. And then we cut to uh we cut to the diner.
1: Right. Yeah, so uh Artie was uh, asked to come along with uh, Mrs. Frederick to this diner where the uh, the server tells them that she made the pie herself. It's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure where this is supposed to be, like if this is supposed to be in Unaville or someplace else. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I have no idea if there's... It's, if we ever it's see ever really this diner explained. again
0: other than there's like yeah there are people around
1: right we learned that their server is named Theodora but people call her Ted
0: mm-hmm. which is why it's Ted's diner right so they they absolutely like sci-fi absolutely already had a Ted's diner set lying around right,
1: <laughs> right. it's got to be uh but as other diners leave at one point, it's just uh, Artie and uh, Mrs. Frederick sitting at a, at a table. And as so, the diners leave, they close the diner right behind them. There's other people trying to come in, and they're like, sorry, private party.
0: Yeah, right after uh, Artie has berated the waitress for, like, hey, we're having a private conversation here.
1: Right, because she's just, like, standing over his shoulder, taking yeah. notes on what he says. Yeah, And so Artie discovers that every single person left in this diner uh, make up the Regents of Warehouse 13. Mm. So what we know about the Regents so far is that they are mysterious and they run the place. Uh, They've got these cool little
0: eye pins on their lapels.
1: Right. And apparently they're all just, like, normal people. Like, yeah. the story, Theodora- I believe, is that uh, Theodora just runs this diner. Like, yeah,
0: like, this isn't a cover. This is, like, this is actually her day job is running this diner.
1: So we've met her, and we now meet a uh, an additional uh, regent that's named. All of the other ones remain unnamed. But, uh, Mr. Valda. I this guy's name. Oh, Balda? Valda. Valda. That makes sense. Yeah, he addresses Artie quite directly, and they have some back and forth.
0: Yeah. He gets a really good line about, you know, Artie's like, you know, you're a regent, but you're a waitress, or whatever. And, uh, there's this really good, like, you know, so, oh, well, uh, you know, Albert Einstein was a patent clerk, and... So on and so forth. I don't think they use that as a specific example, but two of them were presidents, and one of them was, you know, whatever. Oh, it, one of them was Jesus was a carpenter, right? Which is kind of a a, a weird way to take this because, it, it, anyway. So it's a it's a nice like examine your spe- fucking assumptions, already.
1: Right. He specifically, uh, I it actually was something I thought was a nice subtle touch. The examples he used was, uh, for people with good judgment. Like,
0: doesn't he, he name like Thomas Jefferson?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, good judgment if you think the uh, the founding fathers are rad. But yeah. like, uh, yeah. So naming Jesus actually makes a lot of sense yeah. in this case.
0: Yes, but like, if if the point that you're, you're trying to make is like people who come from, you know people who come from humble beginnings or whatever, people needn't have, like, political power or whatever, or you needn't be preordained or be some fortunate son in order to, you know, be qualified to run the warehouse. Right. Like, Jesus in particular, assuming you, you know, you know, assuming you are Christian enough to, as I imagine this guy is, to use him as an example, like, you know, dude was a ch- as a chosen a one as you
2: can get right i mean
1: the uh the way i think he's presenting it is that normal people are better because they are not you know political yeah like
0: not political is a But, yeah, like, he specifically says, like, you know, if we let the generals and the presidents and the politicians, like, make the decisions, there'd be nothing left.
1: Yeah, he said, who would you prefer running it? Uh, A president? A pope? Like, yeah, yeah, when you think about it, it it wouldn't make much sense for this massive government spending project to survive, you know, a hundred different presidencies like they would like it to. Yeah.
0: I mean, he says something. Yeah, he says, you know, your actions are complicating the unique relationship we have with the United States government.
1: Right. Yeah, so it's kind of, uh, if you leave normal people in charge, and all they know is that the work is very important, like, normal people won't have the will to dismantle something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, if it's a good thing they're going to keep it yeah. and unfortunately that's not the truth if you handed it off to a general or a president or a pope
0: yeah that's a what we're still not sure like how people become regents like you know do they start off in like pete and mike's position and then they're promoted or what but we, we don't know
1: i'm I don't actually know how much the regents know about the warehouse. I think part of it is just that they're a governing body to have some sort of oversight for like what Artie does.
0: Yeah, because Artie even says like you're he says you're not out in the field. You don't you know you don't know what it's like. Right. And then he so, also says like the guy we're fighting, McPherson, Knows the rules and knows I won't break them, so I have to break them to catch him.
1: He knows the rules, and so do I. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you could say they're no str- he's no stranger to love. <laughs>
1: but uh Yeah, so I think the Regents uh well to get a a bit way ahead of ourselves, the Regents do have special specializations. Uh Valda is an expert on Egyptology. Mm. Like he just knows a whole lot about Egypt. Uh so but I think they're like held as like essentially amateurs that are meant to be a conscious for the uh for the warehouse agents. Yeah. Not, not allow the, the agents ones, like... to get too wrapped up in their own thing and do things they shouldn't.
0: Yeah, they're clearly the ones, like, writing the rules. Right. Even if they... Yeah, and apparently they're reading these reports that the field agents write up.
1: Right, yeah, so they're it, they're clearly abreast on all of this secret stuff, but, mm-hmm. like, I don't think any of them have particular experience in the field. Yeah, because
0: none of them are... Because it seems like, you know, the handful of the handful of agents we know about Pete, Micah, Artie, and maybe McPherson—they've all been like plucked from government jobs. You know, Artie was an NSA guy. Pete and Micah were Secret Service cops. And right. these people don't seem like that. You know, Claudia is kind of a weird case, but you know, I would be surprised if these fo- these folks don't seem like they've ever been field agents, and that's the point. Like already has been said he's been in this job for forty years. Right. Like I'm sure, like I'm sure if he wanted to be in management, management in air quotes, he would be, and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would want that.
1: Right. I mean, he technically is management at this point.
0: Uh, yeah, as in that, as in people report to him. But right. He if he but he
1: reports directly to Mrs. Frederick.
0: Yeah, like if there were. If there was a ladder to climb, surely he would, and he wanted to climb it, he certainly would have, but he hasn't, or there's no, there's really no ladder. Maybe he'll take Mrs. Frederick's job when something happens, when, if something happens to her, but who knows? Uh, we'll
1: come back to that one. Ooh. Mysterious. (laughs) This actually, like, I'm biting my tongue because you haven't seen some of this stuff, and it... It probably sounds really silly because it is really si- silly. But okay. yeah, it, in the middle of season two, we'll come back to this. I I'm look looking forward, forward to... to that episode. It's a very good one.
0: Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to being wrong.
1: <laughs> oh, no. You're, you're, well, <laughs> in this particular case, yeah, you're wrong. But like, the, <laughs> the way you're wrong is even more entertaining than the alternative.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't wait. Uh, and uh th- yeah there's some this this whole scene at the diner has some really good energy where like he already stands up for himself he like you know this, right Mr- i think
1: this cuts back and forth with the uh stuff going on in the warehouse but honestly that's just like this is very yeah. short to talk about i think we should just cover everything that happens at the diner and then move on
0: because yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they don't really affect each other
1: right and uh until, in,
0: until of course, at the very end where they meet up, and like there's just you know, Mister, you say Volta, Volta, Valda, Valda is a uh, you know he's constantly badgering Artie with these questions. He keeps cutting him off, and Artie always has like he always has something ready, which is like it's got a really good energy to it. It's it feels genuinely tense. Like we're constantly worried. Like, shit, is Artie doing the right thing? Is he like telling off his bosses? bosses in a way he should not but miss frederick seems like you know she seems like she's you know smiling at Artie like he's doing the right thing but we don't really know until later
1: right and Artie is uh basically just saying i can't follow the rules because uh mcpherson knows the rules but like when you take a step back they're essentially like uh antique cops so, yeah. like, it's basically <laughs> saying, hey, can I do more uh, illegal shit? Like.
0: Yeah, this is some fucking classic cop shit, right? Like, oh, he's a loose Cannon cop who doesn't play by the rules because the rules just stop him from catching criminals, man. Right. Which is funny it's, because it's
1: very out of Artie's character.
0: Yeah, which is, like, Artie is, you know, he's got that huge fucking binder of, you know, these are the procedures these are the things you ask because we're dealing with stuff that can in fact murder you or worse if you step out of line we ha already is very we have rules for a reason right which is I th- perhaps why it's important that he's saying we can't stop this guy if we play within the rules because you know but what I kept expecting Artie to say was, that's why we need to amend the rules, not that's why I need to break the rules. That's a bit... Right. Ish.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he, I think he's he arguing means that in a he's, more like, temporary he's arguing, sense.
0: I guess. Like, he definitely makes it seem like this is just to deal with McPherson. But... Because he... Because part of it is, like, if if I were in Artie's shoes, I would be want, like you know, you can change the rules and you have to in order to beat this guy. Let's work together to come up with what those what would be amenable to both of us. But he doesn't say that. He says you need to give me carte blanche to carte blanche? I've only seen that phrase written. I don't know why I said it. You have to give me a blank check to break the rules so I can get this guy.
1: Yeah, I I actually specifically wrote in my notes carte blanche. But Yeah, the uh, the interesting thing is they drew the Regents in their concerns decided to draw a parallel to McPherson's own actions mm-hmm. because he was a field agent, and it's always a little murky, Ar- like what his Ar- whole Parker deal was. Yeah, but he wanted to use artifacts. More, like, mm-hmm. to to gain more for humanity or whatever. Yeah. And, like, specifically that's not what the Warehouse's mission is. Yeah. So maybe the the fear of letting Artie run free is that Artie's going to... St- sort of lose sight of the underlying mission by getting caught up in using everything at his disposal to go after McPherson.
0: Yeah. Like, cause if I am, if I'm these guys, if I'm these, you know, civilian oversight board, you know, I would of course be worried that like, Hey, this guy is breaking the rules. My, you know, my secret artifact cop is breaking the rules and we're kind of the only thing that can stop that from happening. Right. And so apparently they like his answer, but I personally would have reservations.
1: Yeah, I about, think it's like, easy to, way he, like, because we sit here with Artie each week, it's yeah. easy to see Artie's motivation, but, like,
2: yeah, because the regents uh, yeah, should
1: maybe be more hesitant. But it's interesting yeah. because the... The expressions we see, while they're pretty mixed, uh, Artie does hit on something when he says, you're afraid of him. Like He's come to the conclusion that all of the regents are afraid McPherson knows who they are and he's coming after them. Ah, uh, yeah. So they want Artie to do whatever he wants for their own safety.
0: Yeah, they, they trust Artie. Right. And and that's kind of the um that's the thing right with with stuff like this it's always uh like the other film i think of is Beverly Hills Cop which is when the when the cop is the point of view character of course the rules only get in their way because it's assumed they're the protagonist that we want them to succeed. Right. But that has troubling implications for when you try to compare it to like real life police work.
1: Right. Yeah, real life police doing the same things usually results in entrapment or, you know, yeah. catching the wrong person.
0: Yeah, you know, murders. Right.
1: But, yeah, it's it makes for good television, but it's not, I mean, that's part of why they do the, the whole copaganda thing. <laughs> not that. I don't think the majority of copaganda shows are even, like, directly aware that what they're doing is meant to soften the image of police. Yeah. It's just a format that is so common and so deeply ingrained into culture that you don't need to be aware. You just do it
0: yeah that's the thing right like if you if you when you make any sort of fiction the the default is that we sympathize with the protagonist our goals and their goals are presented as the same we want them to succeed right and so when you make fiction about cops that is kind of the default the default thing like we right. want to see Arty succeed. We we the audience know that his heart is in the right place, and we want him to beat McPherson.
1: Right, but and when, you know, when yeah. certain pieces of media reach a certain transcendence, like Star Trek in you know sci-fi or Lord of the Rings in fantasy, like it reshapes the way you write stories because it's so deeply ingrained into the culture of that the genre yeah (laughs) and you see the same thing with cop dramas
0: yeah it's even like even with stuff like brooklyn 99 that tries its best to be like you know woke that tries its best to like you know talk about racism and sexism and police brutality and whatnot it always seems to say, like, oh yeah, those are those are solved problems. We had racism in the past, but not now. We have black cops now, uh, right? Or like, there are small, isolated incidents that can be dealt with and wrapped up by the end of a half-hour episode. It's yeah. It's, like, if you want to make a if you want to make a cop show that like ends with cops bad, you have to you know you have to make your protagonist the bad guys.
1: Right, and, and that's, that's really awkward to work with. Like, you can make your protagonists, like, bank robbers or something, but, yeah. like, even then, it's hard for you to sell it like, oh, yeah, these are the good guys. Like, I mean,
2: like you're, you, know, I've you played,
1: end up stuck in some sort of Robin Hood story that's yeah, basically exactly. the direction it has to go.
0: Yeah, like, I've played a lot of Payday 2, like... You know, I sympathize with these bank robbers just because like, well, a part of it is video games are weird. Like, yeah, they kill a lot of people, but most of who they kill are cops and it's hard to feel bad about that.
1: Right. No and people, just cops. <laughs> like
0: you can kill civilians, but you get a a penalty, but right. that's but it's it's such a slap on the wrist that it's you know, you are a murderer, like even if you even if you don't count cops as people, you, the player, your character in Payday 2 is a murderer and will never be punished for it.
1: Right. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting part of video games as culture. Yeah. Like, we've been doing this for forever in video games. Yeah. Like, just At least as you're... soon as we could depict humans on screen, we were killing them.
0: Yeah. And it's. And Being a bank robber is at least like somewhat more I guess noble. It's it's hard to call what you do noble in those games because you abs- you are absolutely just doing this for fun. Your character does not need the money or anything. Right. But it's it's feels better than make and playing, you know, American Imperialism Simulator 2020.
1: Right. Like I'm not going to pretend like you can totally give a pass to what kojima has done in his games yeah but he always at least addresses that and it's yeah, really co- awkward yeah, <laughs> like
0: kojima is like you know at least like try he has a lot of stuff to say and it's usually like war economy bad nuclear proliferation bad
1: right like for the most part you play a character that runs around preventing terrorists from getting nuclear arms
0: yeah but you are. But you're never actually is always,
1: that good as a person.
0: Yeah, like you are a guy who was like, you are the result of a secret military program to create the perfect soldier. Right. You are a guy who doesn't and really deliver have much a of,
1: biological attack.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you are, um, like Solid Snake. The guy is not a someone who really has a lot of agency. He doesn't know a lot of stuff. Like.
1: Which is a good metaphor for a uh, main character in a video game.
0: Yeah, like, he's always <laughs> just... Yeah, good point. He's always just, you know, doing what he's told to because he doesn't really know how to think for himself because he was grown in a test tube to be a
1: perfect soldier. Right. And he, then they he, um, uh, they took like that the, one step further with uh, Raiden.
0: Yeah. He, uh... At least Raiden, like... At least in Revengeance, he, um seems to be doing this because he wants to like he can it's weird
1: yeah but, um, he he had his crucible moment yeah. He he had a transformative moment yeah because
0: yeah, right realized like he figures out who the real bad guys are right but solid snake <laughs> yeah is, and they're,
1: <laughs> they're people like uh what's his name Senator uh, Armstrong, yeah, the President yeah, fun- Strongman or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, his name Senator Armstrong, who spends yeah. your entire fight like going off about how like only the strong survive. We should burn the country down and something something. Uh, yeah, right now the troops fight because- and they don't really know why. I want everyone to be fighting and they'll know damn sure. It he's a he's a libertarian dipshit and like. But he's absolutely the bad guy. He want, his ideology is to want shitty things that suck. Right. <laughs> but you know, he will he personally will be okay because he's a giant like military augmented power man that <laughs> can break the president <laughs> in two over his knee.
1: Right. Oh, uh, I I think we uh we can't digress into metal gear solid because we'll <laughs> never make it back to the episode. <laughs> I Okay, I will say like
0: Solid Snake still believes in Santa Claus. This is canon. Absolutely. Like
1: And uh, you know what? That's, also, he's gay for Otakon. Thing. Oh yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're just bros being bros. <laughs> it's a Russian taunt. It was a soldier kiss. Right.
0: <laughs> uh anyways, um all so, this happens at the diner. Eventually, um, are we Fr- are in
1: the Lena's uh, bed and breakfast inside yeah. of the warehouse at this point.
0: Yes. And uh, we eventually figure out that you cannot leave this, this bed and breakfast once you are in it. Right. It, you know, you go in one door, you just come out another. You jump out the window, you jump in the other window.
1: And they make some uh, pretty wild leaps of logic to decide, well... What if you couldn't remove the artifact from the building so they just took the whole building yeah so the artifact is something that's here that's not in the real Lena's apart uh bed and breakfast yeah. or maybe the fake one i guess, if they constructed yeah. a uh replacement yeah
0: the the new bed and breakfast there is i do we've been ragging on the uh we've been ragging on the special effects, but like the um, you know, the peak going in one door and out the other, and jumping out the window and back in the other—that's very well done. Props to them for that.
1: Right. Yeah. The, I the, I do like that. The more that, practical
0: uh, effects are genuinely very well done.
1: Yeah, I do like that they used a uh, a turquoise gel over all of the lighting in mm-hmm. the house. Like it, because it would be really awkward for them to film the bed and breakfast scene under. More natural type light. Yeah, it, because it feels, they just live in the bed and breakfast. It wouldn't yeah, it, feel like they're in any danger.
0: Yeah, it feels very spooky and otherworldly, which is very well done.
1: And then they find this painting that is all red-toned, but otherwise depicts the room they're standing in, mm-hmm. including the, things that they change in the room. Like yeah, there's a lamp, the lamp sitting on the uh, couch because Claudia moved it
2: yeah
0: they also they also before this asked Claudia like did you try climbing out the did you try climbing out the hole you fell in through and she says, yep came down through the chimney wouldn't recommend it.
1: She also tried using the uh, bathroom
0: and it she said if you have to go don't flush
1: right. yeah, so I believe it like, through the water on her, like yeah, like it it goes down the hole and tries to leave the house and has to re-enter someplace else. Yeah, and apparently like, that someplace else was like above yeah, her somehow. Sprays up through the sink, maybe because
0: she doesn't seem right. wet.
1: Right, but it was definitely unpleasant.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh. Yeah. So, so we uh. So, Pete grabs a magic marker and draws a door on the uh, yeah. on the painting, <laughs> and there's a magic marker door that appears in the room <sighs> that they just walk up and use like it's chalk zone or something.
0: Yeah, and then Micah goes through and it comes, comes down the staircase behind them.
1: Right. Yeah, and then well, says, don't bother shot. going through it was Worth a good a plan I'm proud yeah, of Pete w- for that one
0: yeah that was a that was a good move by Pete
1: and then he has another good plan he just sort of pokes a fingernail through and discovers that he can just like make holes in the wall that do yeah. lead outside by cutting yeah. holes in the painting
0: yeah Claudia looks through the, the rip that forms in the real wall when he pokes through the painting says I can see the warehouse and, and they just grab a letter opener and cut themselves out right problem
1: solved mostly which that problem anyway yeah then they uh claudia (laughs) goes over to a terminal to check the uh or they discover there's a gigantic thunderstorm in the middle Mm -hmm. of the warehouse yeah and claudia goes to a terminal that she apparently just fixed that already was like (laughs) why did you
0: thought she like installed them or something like You know, oh, you know, she was like, oh, gee, Claudia, why are you installing all these emergency terminals over the warehouse?
1: Right. Whatever. (laughs) Well, these emergency terminals sure came in handy for her to discover that, uh, shit's fucked.
0: Yeah, the, um, she calls it the gooery, is the, uh, the place with all the gears that makes the, um, the purple neutralizer stuff.
1: Right, yeah, it pumps it through. I don't believe it makes it. Uh, yeah. In fact, I believe there is a limited amount in the warehouse.
0: Yeah. Already, at least when he introduced it for the first time, makes it sound like he doesn't know where it comes from, or something like that. Or he said like, "Don't ask where it comes from," or something.
1: It comes from Eureka. Uh, well, that makes <laughs> sense.
0: So yeah, well, it's clearly yeah, not when we, manufactured there.
1: Yeah. When we see the uh, when we see the crossover episode. We'll see that uh, the purple goo is provided by Eureka. Uh, that makes sense.
0: And uh, da, da, da. so they have to, we get a little like overhead map of the warehouse and Claudia starts like plotting a course and then, why don't we go through there? Oh, that's the dark vault.
1: Right. But not going through the dark vault would take too long. I also want to touch on what Claudia said when she was explaining how the guri guri works to uh, Pete. She explained it like a nuclear reactor: the coolant runs over the control yeah. rods or whatever, and yeah. uh, uh, the guri jakes out the coolant for the warehouse.
0: Jakes out.
1: Yes, that is, that is the phrase she used.
0: Ah, uh, that's <laughs> a thing people say. Right, not real sure about that. Uh, so, they decide to venture through the dark vault. And I think it's at this point or afterwards that uh, the, the voice overhead that's telling them, like, you know, 30 minutes until bad shit happens is Mrs. Frederick.
1: Right. And, and the
0: characters are commenting on this.
1: Right, and Pete, Pete and Micah are just, like, absolutely certain it is Mrs. Frederick genuinely in the flesh. Yeah. Which, I mean, she does appear out of nowhere constantly, mm. but apparently it is a recorded message.
0: Yeah, which—oh, no, this happens after the dark vault, because uh, when they get out, they— Oh, uh, yeah. When, when they get out, they they hear Mrs. Frederick, and like, hey, you know, help us, but— We're getting ahead of ourselves because they go into the dark vault, which is full of the, which is full of the artifacts that are so dangerous. they fuck you up. If you look at them or perceive them or something. And one of the things we,
1: they're a bad time. They're luckily contained in purple light. Yeah.
0: One of the things we see is a, uh, like a velvet blacklight painting of a sad clown.
1: Yeah. And it, it has, like, a face trapped inside of it that Pete uh, keeps sort of seeing.
0: Whoever heard of a sad clown? <laughs> uh, but anyway, they uh, they go through. Uh, we see the, uh, the weird head face thing from the pilot episode.
1: Right, yeah, the bloodstone.
0: Which, which is weird because that one seems like it's only dangerous if you bleed on it.
1: Right. Yeah, it takes over it takes control of you if you uh if your blood touches it. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like it needs to be in the dark vault honestly. It was just maybe nice um, for maybe th- Pete to be able to say, "Oh, nice to see you again."
0: Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it does some maybe it's more fiendish than that. Who knows?
1: Right. I mean, it tried to kill the president. Yeah.
0: So, who knows? Maybe it does some other stuff we're not privy to.
1: But, uh... Right. And Pete is just looking at all of the creepiest shit he can, like, yeah. as closely as possible.
0: Yeah, no... Like, yeah, there's he this is creepy looking,
1: porcelain doll. He's really checking it out.
0: He is looking at, like... The one thing Micah has to say is, like, don't look at anything. And Pete is just sticking his face all up in everything. Right. And, uh... Uh, eventually like, stumbles
1: upon a typewriter
0: yeah so throughout this part of the episode there is a um throughout this part of the episode there was a back and forth between pete and micah about like because micah and claudia have read the manual and so they know what the dark vault is <laughs> right but pete does
1: not pete's like, he, like it's over a thousand pages
0: and he thinks like this makes him superior somehow <laughs> right <laughs> like yeah you know, oh yeah. You know, he also said i'll wait for the movie right um, which is uh, <laughs> he's making the funny. movie though <laughs> but uh yeah and so yeah long story short pete winds up enthralled and having the life sucked out of him by uh someone's typewriter an evil type sylvia
1: plath's typewriter there you go yeah and, uh it gives pete hella ennui I uh, hate having on Wii. Oh, uh, now I can't read my handwriting. What did I write uh, here? Uh, there's a. There's a, Oh, there's some I s- wrote that this is a uh, a big time 2020 mood.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I, I too sometimes <laughs> feel like I'm staring at a typewriter and having the life su- sucked out of me.
1: Right. Uh, so uh, he's standing there staring, and uh, uh, well, so
0: Claudia, they don't notice this right away. Right. Uh, Claudia and Micah, like, leave the... So, Claudia takes some time to enter the code to get them out of the Dark Vault. Uh,
1: She's apparently hacking to get them out of the Dark Vault? Yeah, she says something
0: about an an FTL ASCII binary algorithm, to which Micah says, did you just make that up? Which, um, almost certainly, yes, that doesn't mean anything. That's nonsense.
1: Right. Uh, probably.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, and, uh... But anyways, uh... Because what it is, is, I think, is Mike and Claudia are outside the dark vault. They turn around. They realize Pete is getting bamboozled by this typewriter. And then, like, the door closes behind them, I think. The door closes right. behind them. They hear Mrs. Frederick's voice over the loudspeaker. Have that whole thing with, them. Um, hey, are you here? Whatever. And uh, realize it's a recording. And then they have to get back in, which is even right.
1: harder. And so Claudia's working on hacking the keypad from the other side Mm -hmm. through a, you know, a 10-key keypad. And Micah just tells her to stand back and kicks the shit out of it. (laughs) And that does it. I mean, I guess (laughs) doors failing to unlock kind of makes sense. It's a a fail-safe. But... Also kind of doesn't in the warehouse's case. Yeah. Like, I think it's been made pretty clear that an agent's life is not more valuable than keeping really dangerous artifacts in.
0: Yeah. Like, these guys are here because they will metaphorically take a bullet for the warehouse.
1: Right. So, like, if you broke the inside keypad, yeah, open it up. Someone's alive in there trying to get out. Yeah, if you broke the outside keypad, someone who shouldn't be getting in is trying to get in. Yeah, someone who like,
0: yeah, someone who does not have the code and yeah,
1: it's can't create a uh, FTL ASCII to binary uh, algorithm or whatever <laughs> on a ten key keypad. Yeah, yeah, and then uh,
0: there's a there's a thing where uh, Micah tells Claudia to go. To go to the, the gooery to get it fixed Well, she right. deals with naturally heat.
1: we should split up.
0: Yeah, uh, Claudia's like, you trust me? Which is was weird to me because I never thought... At no point we're like, we're never given a... Micah always trusts Claudia. She always like, they're always on the same wavelength.
1: Right, yeah, the so, only one who's apprehensive also, is Artie.
0: And also Artie like left Claudia here alone to do chores. Right. So like he clearly trusts her. Which is, it right. was Pete the, who was earlier, like, it was Pete, Pete was the one who was being like, uh, you know, okay, but you have to stay with me the whole time. You know, this it's dangerous. Right. Which also didn't make much sense to me because like, what, is she just going to like stand here where the lightning storm is? Right. She's I, clearly
1: safer with you. Yeah. I think, I and think also you need all the hands being you protective, get. but like, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of weird because I don't think Pete or Claude or or uh, Micah ever really view Claudia as anything less than an equal, essentially.
0: Yeah. But anyway, Claudia's touched that Micah wants her to go on ahead. Uh, Micah tries to shake Pete out of it both by, um, you know, yelling at him, saying like. Hey, remember the tortoise in the hare? Be the hare. Run, a, run away. And he's like, eh, what's the difference? And uh, right. eventually she gets, a, she gets a broom and pushes him out. Right. She takes off her belt I, and tries to get him to grab it. Which I like, looked
1: at the uh, fandom wiki's uh, list of artifacts and didn't see a broom listed as an artifact. So that might just be a regular broom.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was like just a push
1: broom. It's kind of hard to believe that there's any push broom in the warehouse that isn't an artifact, though. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, she pushes him out of the uh, safety circle that he shouldn't have stepped in that was clearly marked on the floor.
0: Yeah. And, uh, uh, meanwhile, we see Claudia uh, slowly extracting the sticky string from the machinery. Eventually, she, uh... It's too slippery or something? Like her gloves won't let right, her get a good her, grip uh, on it?
1: With her purple anti-artifact gloves. Yeah.
0: So she takes them off, starts pulling the the string out with her bare hands.
1: This is another one of those issues where proper PPE would have saved a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah. And she had proper PPE. She just took it off.
1: Right. Yeah. And we see this all the time in industry. Yeah. <laughs> It's too inconvenient to wear my gloves.
0: Yeah, so she gets herself <laughs> stuck, uh, and the machinery is slowly pulling her in. Uh Micah shows up, uh, winds up, you know, playing tug of war, basically. She grabs Claudia, starts tugging with the machine.
1: Actually, she winds gets up, herself stuck.
0: Yeah, there's some pretty conspicuous CGI where the, the string noodles grab her too because her hands get too close.
1: Right. There are tendrils scene- that like Move in a sort of stop motion ish way. Yeah, but it's if very they were strange. stop motion, it would look a lot better.
0: Yeah, it's very strange. Um, and then uh, they shout for Pete. They call Pete, and he says
1: checks.
0: Yeah, which is very strange choice of words, Petermer, Pete stuffer
1: Yeah, it it's it's Pete words, but uh, yeah, not not my first pick.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. I would feel weird about being called a chick. It, it right. seems
1: weird. Ladies or girls would feel a little less weird.
0: Yeah, like even if he's just like guys or you two or whatever. Right. Chicks is a specific, like, weird blend of frat of infantilizing and kind of frat boy. It's it's a weird choice of
1: words. Um, right. And it's the sort of words that would almost certainly bug Micah. I'm yeah, not like, too sure about Claudia. Claudia probably would just take it in good humor.
0: Yeah. I, I think if you know, if I were in Micah's shoes and, well, the thing is, if I were being silly strained, I would not complain. Like, Right, oh, if good, you were slowly here, he being
1: help. pulled into a massive industrial gear.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would be weird about his word choice and... Better times Uh, But anyway uh, Claudia tells Pete To get the the snow globe Out of her belt The freezy snow globe And uh, Pete picks it up And says hey 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 (laughs) (laughs) Right (laughs) (laughs) Which Oh What I realized that was like a thing people said but it's, again, a strange choice of words for Pete.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think it's one of those things that, like, when Pete interacts with Claudia, he's constantly trying to be, be perceived cool hip. as hip, and it comes yeah. off as not.
0: Yeah, he's always trying to, like, come off as, I guess, cool. Right, like he wants to press her or whatever, or like yeah, he's how know, do I'm,
1: you do, fellow zing his yeah, way through interactions you know, with Claudia. I'm not like
0: my, I'm not like stuffy old Micah. I'm the cool agent guy. Right, I'm I'm in touch with the hip kid trends of today. Gogurt. Uh, but he so, uh, liquid nitrogen demos the, you know, freezes the. The Sticky String. They're very, they're very, uh, very intentionally call it Sticky String. It is not Silly String. It's Sticky String.
1: Right. Because Silly String doesn't hurt anybody. Sticky yeah. String, on the other hand, that's yeah. got to be locked in the warehouse.
0: Yeah. Uh, Claudia has a, cl- a crack about it being hours of fun for the whole family, but it has been not very fun for her. And, right. uh, that's apparently enough to fix it.
1: yeah. It, like, shattered the whole string that was, like, in between them and the Gears, but, like, it didn't really do that much to the stuff in the Gears. Apparently, Claudia pulled enough out Yeah, that the Gears just sort of overcame it, I guess.
0: Yeah, it did look like she got most of it, I guess. And, uh, yeah, they get it out. Happy ending. Uh, we, uh.
1: Is and this then, where Claudia and Micah have their little heart to heart? Um,
0: I don't remember. I remember because there's the the scene. I think so. Because there's also the scene where Artie and Miss Frederick are walking out of the diner, and uh, Artie says something. Like, well, what do they say? And Miss Frederick said, "Good hunting, you know. Get them. Like they, li- right. they, you know, they like you."
1: So I guess. at that point, as they walk out of the diner. Uh, I got a subtitle that doesn't appear in the episode at all. Huh. It said, God, this is a weird job. Huh. Which, it is. Right, but no one says this on screen. Yeah. Like, I don't know where this subtitle came from, but I thought it was uh, worth mentioning. Yeah. I,
0: I wonder if, like, they were... I have seen cases where, like, when I was a kid, I would always watch TV with the closed captioning on. And I suspect at least some of the time The closed caption was working from a script Like they got a copy of the show's script Which means they, And they You know That or the show was edited or something After the fact To include the subtitle but not the actual line Or the, the, the subtitle line Is subtly different from the Actual written line
1: But uh micah and claudia have a little heart to heart where they're uh where claudia asks if micah will teach her how to do that uh sweet kick thing mm-hmm. and uh mike like oh yeah yeah sure and then uh she's like you can show me how to uh hack, hack the the door and claudia is like you want to learn to hack the grid because like yeah. i'm down i'll teach you how to hack the grid
0: <laughs> yeah, and they have a, a heart-to-heart about, like, I know what it's like to have someone not take you seriously because of your age.
2: Right. Which,
0: is that what was happening? Is that why Pete was concerned earlier? It's, because I don't think, I didn't think anyone had ever, like, underestimated Claudia because of her age.
1: Yeah, like, I Artie mean. Like, doesn't
0: like her because she was a, you know, she was the troublemaker who fucked with the warehouse and, like, kind of forced him to help with Donovan.
1: Right, and Joshua. he, he also worries about dragging her in. I think, in part, because of her age, mm-hmm. but
0: yeah, she certainly isn't. Doesn't have the the same training as Pete and Micah do. She was never a cop, right? right? She, you know, she doesn't have the physique for it, and maybe that's part of it. But and maybe that's why Pete was worried about her earlier. I don't know. He never like said. He never gave a reason for why she should stay. It was just like, you know, you stay here where it's safe, even though there's, uh, you know, lightning nonsense going around everywhere. And she clearly knows, she's clearly the person here best equipped to fix the the gooery.
1: Right. So, uh, Artie gets back, and they all start explaining all at once everything that happened. Yeah. And Artie's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I like, got better things to do.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a really good exchange where uh you know you know, what, what was the what was the time? How how long did you have until it failed? And they say, you know, thirty seconds, under a minute, thirty seconds, whatever. Or he's just like, you know, hey, alright, I, I got down to like five seconds once. So he gets really annoying when yeah, she's counting down at you.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, the uh the recording starts counting down. And yeah, apparently it's really annoying. <laughs> I think, in part, what they're trying to portray there that I didn't pick up until we're sitting down and talking about it again, uh, is he went in there thinking that they were questioning Pete and Micah's capability. Yeah. The regions were, yeah, And he keeps so he like was saying defending they the best ages They've ever had, right? And all that and i think maybe because he was just talking about all of that he found more trust in them anyway yeah like you know, because he's like, yeah i've
0: been th- been there done that
1: right yeah so when he comes back and the warehouse nearly uh was completely destroyed he's like yeah uh my agents yeah. did their thing like <laughs> and, and there's a and there's
0: a really good moment in there where um Miss Frederick says, like, Artie, back there you said Pete and Micah were the best agents you've ever had, but that's wrong, it's you. Which is...
1: Only the facts.
0: Yeah, which, you know, Mrs. Frederick doesn't usually say nice things, but, you know, she says what she means and she means what she says.
1: Right. Ah. Yeah, and then uh, they go for tacos, Artie stays behind, but asks to be provided with one taco please because
0: yeah, there was a whole thing <laughs> earlier where uh, at the at the diner he wants to or, uh he orders a salad because Lena has him on a diet but then he orders a slice of pie because well you know she made it herself i can't right. not uh and then so this that's kind of a callback to that uh
1: yeah, he mentioned he almost got to have a slice of pie.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know. Oh no, I'm fine. I had pie. I I almost had pie. Uh. <laughs> and uh. That's about it. It's a good episode.
1: Yeah, this was a nice one. Uh, it's. It's interesting to see when they throw out all of the normal procedure that goes along with the standard a plot yeah and just play with characters and the warehouse like they can really make a strong episode yeah with I, only the ensemble cast and the warehouse
0: yeah and i really appreciate them doing this like because i don't really like the cop procedural aspect of it that much but i i like this i like that they uh Yeah you know, right i like that this departs from the formula and they do some really good stuff with it and i hope we see more of it in the future
1: yeah, and I keep saying how they're shifting gears to more plot-driven, but, like, yeah. they really... Like, in the coming episodes, they really start focusing on McPherson.
2: hmm
1: So that... It was kind of important for Artie to get this go-ahead to sort of explain the shift they take. Yeah. Uh, because how now he's... he's allowed to do whatever he needs to do. And... Yeah. He's going to. We'll see mm-hmm. at the very start of the episode. He's got Pete and Micah on, in different countries chasing after McPherson. And mm-hmm. they uh, they don't quite manage to nab him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because that would make uh, the rest of the season feel really pointless. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it, it'll it be fun. I do like, uh, I don't care that much for McPherson, but I do like some of the stuff they do uh, with this. It gets interesting.
0: Hell yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Because I, I found the original McPherson stuff kind of whatever. But yeah, I really liked this episode. I liked getting to meet the regents. I liked, you know, we get to see a little bit more about the the mysterious organization that controls the warehouse and so on and so forth. And we also just got, like, a really fun A-plot with Pete, Mike, and Claudia.
1: Right. Yeah, and it really played with the warehouse, which I personally love. Yeah. They spent a lot of time trying to give the warehouse character. And I feel like while they do that, and it makes it really easy when they're doing the momentary scene in the warehouse— yeah. The longer they spend in the warehouse, the better that payoff is.
0: Yeah, like, the more, like, they can build the world of the warehouse, the better it is. It, it right. rules.
1: Yeah, so I'm really glad they got to do that a bit. We see the dark vault, we see, uh, you know, some of the containment apparatus, like, we get a feel for just how moody the warehouse is, like, yeah. you let something go wrong and it goes very wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. which it's,
2: it we see that re-
1: before but it doesn't feel the same it doesn't feel like the warehouse is interacting with Claudia when she's mag- magnetically attracting everything
0: yeah more you know, like it's threatening her a bit but it's really like a result of her own actions as opposed right. to as opposed to this episode where Claudia didn't really do anything wrong and in fact she kind of does everything right but the warehouse is still mad
1: right. Yeah, what a lot of viewers uh, don't seem to realize is that uh, the warehouse is really a, an additional <laughs> character in <Yeah>. the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I heard, that, felt that one coming.
1: Uh, we get an episode to look forward to next week. Uh, we'll oh, yeah. get to meet uh, Micah's family. Ooh. Yeah, we'll get to see their bookstore in Colorado Springs. Ooh. And, and I will I'm sure my... we'll have more awkward uh, interactions uh, where Pete is like, yeah, but your dad's not dead, <laughs> <sighs> so you should be better to him or something.
0: Yeah. Hi, hello there. Micah's a live dad. How are you?
1: <laughs> right. I've heard great things about you. <laughs> I, I Not about really. About you
0: and... About you and how not dead you are. Congratulations. (laughs) I've been calling your daughter a nerd pretty savagely since we've met. Although, no, that's not fair. He hasn't called her a nerd lately.
1: Right. Also, uh, didn't her dad, like, try to raise her more tomboyish? Like, because he just wanted a boy? (laughs) Huh. Like, I think that gets mentioned at some point, but then, like, basically there's that and there's the whole she was raised in a bookstore thing.
0: Yeah, and she's still definitely, like, the nerd of the two. Right. Like, is the tomboy thing to explain why she became a cop? Uh, who knows.
1: Yeah, I, uh... Another interesting little, uh toss outline that they did was uh, Micah starts to explain who Sylvia Plath is to Claudia, and Claudia mentioned that she spent some time in... In
0: in the bell jar.
1: Yeah, in the bell jar. Uh, So apparently she acquired a lot of knowledge. I don't know if it slows down time, or like, just crams more into your brain faster or something.
0: Well, I... Well, I don't, I've never read The Bell Jar, I, but I read that as, like, I basically had nothing to do but read. Oh,
1: there's a book. Okay.
0: I, I realized they were referring to the book, but, like, I, I think she was saying metaphorically, like, there was a time in my life when all I really, all there really was to do was to read. Okay. study. I, I could be talking out of my ass here, I should look up what The Bell Jar is about. But yeah, that was a Sylvia Plath book. Uh, I don't really want to read all this, and I really don't want to like get the plot of this book wrong because there's a lot of text on Wikipedia about it. Right.
1: I, I, I assume think, it's a pretty good book.
0: Yeah. I I assume it's about how like if you are a woman in the you know in the six fifties and sixties, it kind of sucks you don't have a lot of freedom. Yeah, that uh, looks
1: like uh, something of the direction.
0: And I'm sure there is ennui involved, given what that typewriter did to Pete. But uh, Sylvia Plath, if you'd like to be on this podcast, I think you might be dead. But if you're not, yes, yes, she died in 1963. Um, Right. (laughs) Sylvia Plath Ghost, if you'd like to be on this podcast, email us. Or just haunt one of us. I don't know how this works.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh Yeah, just just get in touch with us. Have your people yeah. reach out to our people. <laughs> and uh, that about it. Any closing thoughts? Oh, they treated Sylvia Plath with uh, electroconvulsive therapy just like they did to Dr. Bronner. Huh. Did she
0: except she started writing books instead of making soap. <laughs>
1: Right. Although Dr. Bronner was making soap before that. Oh, all right. Uh,
0: (laughs) Oh, so so the treatment does not cause soap making. That makes sense. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Side effects effects of electroconvulsive therapy include soap making, uh, semi-biographical writing.
2: He used Uh, to
1: give out his soap at his... uh, at his like philosophy speeches where he talks about his uh very particular worldview yeah and discovered people were only coming for the soap <laughs> so he, that's why he put all of the shit all over the label on the soap <laughs> <laughs> it like. makes sense
0: uh welcome to warehouse 69 the fediverse's finest dr Bronner's soap podcast uh all right uh any, any closing thoughts I, uh, like three times, I think
1: though. we've uh, covered pretty much everything
0: alright in that case truly it was at warehouse 13 see y'all next week for season 1 episode 11 McPherson <laughs>